0: The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 117. Hello and welcome back to the Medical School Headquarters Podcast, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. If you're struggling with the MCAT, go to freemcatgift.com and download our 30-page report all about how to succeed on getting the best score that you can get. And if you're planning on taking the MCAT 2015 anytime soon, and this is being recorded in February 2015, Go and register as soon as you can because spots are filling up faster than expected and a lot of students are a little bit out of luck, if you know what I mean. So in today's podcast, we're talking with a resident and this resident is going to talk to us about his path, why he did what he did as kind of a non-traditional student and what he wants to do in the world. And I'm going to talk to Dr. Tom Petit all about this. Now, Tom happens to be a friend of ours. He's a friend of Allison's. And he has some interesting articles that he's writing on Kevin MD, who we're going to have as a guest. We're going to have Kevin Poe online or on the podcast next week. And Tom has been using this outlet of his writing for Kevin MD, the website kevinmd.com to kind of as an outlet, like I said, as a kind of a creative outlet. And so we'll talk about why he does that. And he's going to talk about some of his tips for students that are on their path now. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. I want to talk about way back when or whenever it was when you had your aha moments that you knew you wanted to be a physician?
1: Yeah, actually, you know, I think for me, it was sort of a series of inevitabilities in some sense. I think when I was very young, I remember being at the kitchen table and learning the word metastatic at the dinner table because my father, who's a psychiatrist, was taking a phone call from a patient. He sort of stepped down into the basement and was gone maybe 10 or 15 minutes and then came back up and sort of talked about how the person had metastatic disease and really needed to talk to their doctor. And I think that made a big impression on me just to see someone who had a career that was really, you know, really sort of important on like the deepest level to a person and would sort of take out their own time to give back in that sort of way. So I think that was sort of the first time for me. And then there, there were a couple of other things that sort of seemed to make it fit. I did some hospice volunteering in college and that was a really another sort of experience I had where I felt sort of very connected to people in a way that made me want to sort of go into healthcare a little bit more.
0: Okay. Those are all good examples of early exposure, especially with your dad being a physician. It's interesting to hear physicians now or pre-med students or medical students who had parents that are physicians and are physicians now. And so it's, I don't know if they have specific numbers. I've seen very random numbers, some high, some low, about percentages of medical students that have parents that are physicians. But it's definitely an impression that gets left on you when when you watch somebody do that for somebody else. Yeah. So having that early exposure... Did you go into undergrad knowing you were pre-med and go straight into medical school?
1: Kind of. So I as a freshman, I, I decided I would sort of dive right in and I took organic chemistry my first semester. And it was very hard. <laughs> and organic chemistry
0: would, your first semester.
1: Yeah. And so
0: <laughs> Who gave you that advice?
1: I don't know if anyone <laughs> gave me that advice. I think I just kind of did it. I said, oh, I just wanna. I think my plan was just sort of sort of I was always very interested in science. So I I felt like, hey, like I really want to take physics anyways and chemistry and actually thought I was gonna be a chemistry major. So I said, oh, I'll just do all the pre-med because it's something I'm kind of interested in, and then try to fill in the gaps later. But as it as it turned out, I actually finished probably 80% of it in undergrad and got more interested in physics and philosophy and started really getting into philosophy and pretty much did most of my classes in that and just sort of did sort of finished up some of the pre med on the side
0: interesting what led you off of that what was it that interested you
1: yeah so i mean i think for me it was sort of uh it was i found a way that sort of my mind i was able to write and think about a lot of ideas and sort of study something where i had a lot of creativity and it was also very analytical so I think those two things combined made philosophy really interesting. And sort of, I went to a sort of liberal arts school, and pre med wasn't something, it wasn't a big culture. It was just sort of something that, I mean, maybe a couple dozen people were doing. So it wasn't as if I was a part or not a part of a particular pre med community. There was just a couple of us kind of doing the classes. And yeah, I think it was hard, you know, in hindsight, I think that it's interesting that. You know, the pre-med curriculum has very little to do with medicine. <laughs> it's sort of like a test of your endurance and your stamina and sort of your, your intellect to a certain extent, but I don't think that it, you know, is necessarily a test of if you'll be a good doctor. I think it'll it's a test of, you know, if you're able to pass the test to get to medical school and then pass those tests to get to residency. But I think the classes themselves have a pretty weak correlation with what you're actually doing on a daily basis.
0: That is true. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. So it's interesting. So you went to a liberal arts school? Yeah. As a premed, knowing you wanted to be a physician. So run me down real quick if you can remember your thought process, or if there was any, of choosing to go to a liberal arts school that maybe would have put you at a disadvantage being pre-med in most people's minds, which, I mean, we can talk about how it's really not a disadvantage, but...
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's sort of hard to, you know, go back to go that back that many years to when I was applying to college. I think it was just sort of, you know, the people that I surrounded myself with in high school and some of my teachers, it just seemed like, you know, they felt like, oh, you're the type of kid who would like to go to liberal arts school. You would sort of thrive there, Um, I guess, because I was a little bit more like, you know, social and thoughtful and had pretty broad interests. So I think I sort of got got sort of put in that camp a bit. And I said, oh, that seems like a good camp to be in. And so, you know, I applied to liberal arts schools, a couple bigger a couple bigger schools. But then, then sort of on my campus tours, I got a better sense of, yeah, this is sort of the type of vibrant, smaller community that I want to sort of learn in. And yeah, it sort of felt like a combination between, you know, a small summer camp, but also sort of like, like a math club, it sort of had both of those things going for it, and so
0: it was everything. it was a nerd summer camp.
1: <laughs> it was it was basically a nerd summer camp, and yeah.
0: <laughs> no, that's that's good because I think a lot of high school students get caught up in oh, I want to be a doctor, so I need to go to the top, quote unquote, best pre med undergrad to get into medical school. And I like your story of going to the campus on a tour and touring it and going, you know what, this fits me and that, this is where I want to go.
1: Yeah.
0: Awesome. So you go through undergrad, you kind of divert from pre-med, it sounds like. Did you not apply to, to medical school right away?
1: No, I didn't. I actually, in my senior year, I um, I heard about a program called Teach for America, which some of the listeners might be familiar with, which is a sort of a placement organization to place college grads in inner city schools across the U.S. And I sort of heard the story about, you know, the mission of the organization and, you know, I got very compelled by it. And I thought, oh, there's a, it's a sort of two-year commitment to, to be a teacher. And then while I'm doing that, I can, you know, finish up my pre-med classes, take the MCAT because I hadn't done that in college and then sort of apply to medical school after that.
0: Interesting, so how did that diversion treat you?
1: So it treated me pretty well. Um it took me another year, actually. I think, for more reasons related to to my teaching, I ended up teaching for three years instead of two, just because I felt like I would sort of make a better impact in the classroom and I felt like my learning curve was so steep that I, I wanted to sort of continue that. and then also, you know, I was taking some summer classes and you know, studying for the MCAT and, you know, applying to medical school took a quite a bit longer than I thought it would. I thought it might take, you know, a month or two, but it actually took quite a bit of time and thought and research and, you know, studying for the MCAT was not an easy go.
0: (laughs) Not at all. Where did you go to teach and where, where can people be placed in this Teach for America?
1: Yeah. So when I, when I was placed and nearly 10 years ago, it was in, I think there are around 20 sites, and I was placed in St. Louis. So I did a lot of teaching. We did a summer institute before I was in Los Angeles, and then ended up teaching for three years in St. Louis. And people are placed all over. I think now there's maybe 30, 35 sites that people go to.
0: Cool. Okay. Yeah. So you're what we would consider a non-traditional medical student at this point or a non-traditional pre-med because you, you hadn't gotten into medical school at this point. And a lot of a lot of people listening are non-traditional students as as well. So what was it like? You had mentioned that it took a lot longer for you to apply. What was it like having this full time job, assuming it's full time teaching and studying for the MCAT and preparing to apply to medical school what was that like and what advice would you have for somebody else that's out there with a full-time job maybe with kids and trying to balance all this
1: yeah um i mean i think it takes a lot of a lot of sort of internal drive to do it and i think it was a little bit isolating to be studying for this test that you know i'm out of college no one else is studying for a test <laughs> most people on their summer were you know either student t- doing more teaching or traveling. And here I was in a library again, kind of by myself studying. So I think sort of, I took a class, I think it was a Kaplan class that was very helpful in sort of, you know, re engaging me with people and, you know, finding some people to study with. So I think that was useful for me. And then also, you know, the classes that I took, I was able to take some more sort of pre-med classes in physiology and anatomy, which you know, got me excited about the content of medical school again. So I think that was a big thing for me is sort of, you know, taking those classes to motivate me to say, oh, I really want to learn more physiology. And, you know, I really am interested in doing that.
0: Okay. What was it about the application that took so long in your mind?
1: I think it was just my job was so demanding my first year that I couldn't really think about it. And then, you know, I needed to do the MCAT over the summer, which I did. And then, yeah, I mean, I think it was just, you know, just thinking through writing the essay. I remember that taking me a while, getting all the recommendations. I think being out of college, getting the recommendations from everybody was something that sort of took a while as well. And just sort of putting the whole package together. And also sort of just thinking through, So why am I I doing this as well? (laughs) I think it was sort of a vague idea after college, but it took me sort of a year or two to say, to really make the change from, okay, I'm going to make a career change at this point. Yeah.
0: Okay. So obviously you got into medical school. Where'd you end up going?
1: So I went to UMass Medical School.
0: Okay. Good state school. Yeah. And what was that transition like from... Being, again, a full-time teacher, not in a classroom setting, or at least on the other side of the table, what was that like now being a student again, full-time and in medical school?
1: Yeah, so I would say frustrating would be a big word for me for a couple of reasons. One, I think, was you know going from a setting where I'm on my feet, I'm interacting with 100 people a day. To going back to sort of being by myself in the library with some books. So sort of the social aspect was a tough transition. And then also, sort of as a teacher, sort of seeing some of seeing where medical school education is, it was sort of frustrating to see that it wasn't sort of as advanced as I wanted it to be in terms of different types of lectures or different types of groups or sort of the pedagogy wasn't where sort of I wanted it to be at. So I think the first couple of months were a pretty big transition for me, just sort of, you know, having a job to going back to being a full-time student. And I think for me, UMass is a place that it was great in that there was it's a pretty diverse place in terms of people's prior job experiences. I mean, there was a guy who was 20 years out of college, who worked for IBM, was a priest. You know, there's people who worked for pharmaceuticals, people who had their PhD, so I think it was pretty open school to non-traditional applicants. So I think that was a big source of support sort of making that transition as a non-traditional applicant.
0: Did you know that going in that they were open to non-trads? How did you narrow down what schools you applied to and and ultimately going to UMass?
1: Yeah, so I think like a lot of people it was it was narrowed down for me. <laughs> it was between UMass and and one and a school in Philly and at that point, it was sort of a no-brainer for me based on the in-state tuition and the reputation of the school. So, fortunately for me, it wasn't a very difficult decision-making process deciding which school to go to. Just pretty happy to to get into one that that I liked. And then, as far as the non-traditional applicants know, I, I don't think until I got there I realized. And actually, I don't think I realized until residency how sort of a unique place it was, and that there were you know many students in their forties for example and now I'm at Boston Medical Center now and I don't I haven't really seen sort of that age of student <laughs> at Boston Medi- at BU School of Medicine for example.
0: Yeah. Okay. Good to know. I think UMass only accepts Massachusetts residents. Is
1: yes. Right? So you either the requirement is you either have, have to have graduated from a high school in Massachusetts or have been a full-time resident for 5 years. Okay. So there's a couple people who, you know, after college lived in Massachusetts for 5 years, developed residency and then applied to the school.
0: All right. So all you non-trads out there that want to go to UMass, start working on that residency. <laughs> all right. So you are in medical school at UMass. You have this awesome background with Teach for America. What did you take from Teach for America? You You had talked about your frustrations with the teaching there. Did you take those frustrations and do anything with that?
1: Uh, Yes and no. Um, I think I tried to, there's, you know, medical school is, um, can be very bureaucratic, like a lot of healthcare. (laughs) So there's a lot of committees. So I, I started joining committees. And so I was on some school curricular committees, which was actually quite fun because I got to sort of hang out with these you know, professors who have been teaching for 30 years and sort of talk about, you know, ideas of medical education, which was really, really fun, actually. So that was one way I sort of channeled channeled that energy. And then there was a lot of sort of more community engagement type things going on at UMass, which I got involved with. I think there was a juvenile detention center that had some health teaching that I was able to you know, run programs at that. So I think a lot of it was sort of getting that energy out a little bit outside of the medical school too. Okay.
0: So you go through medical school, how did you narrow down and what did you narrow down your residency choice, your specialty to?
1: Yeah. So I was actually pretty sort of pluripotent. I had a lot of different fields I was considering. So I was thinking about psychiatry. I was thinking about family medicine, I was thinking about internal medicine. And by the end, it was sort of a toss up between the three of those. And I actually ended up applying to both internal medicine and family medicine. Based mostly on sort of the fit of the program, I wanted to be in an urban setting, again, in kind of a smaller program. And so I applied to programs that sort of had a very social justice mission that were, you know, in urban areas and on the smaller side of things. So that that's what sort of narrowed down my list.
0: Interesting. Did that come up at all during any of your residency interviews that you were applying for multiple specialties?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they knew. I think it was probably a quarter of them would ask me about it. And, you know, I think when I told them, they said, Oh yeah, that, you know, that makes sense to me. Some people were kind of territorial about their about their particular field. They're like, oh, well, you know. I wouldn't do family medicine if I were you, or I wouldn't do internal <laughs> medicine if I were you, and just trying to sort of sell me on their particular field. But for the most part, people people seem to get it and you know, but they they still wanted me to me as a convert.
0: Yeah. But and at least the two fields that you're applying for are similar. It's not like you were applying for orthopedic surgery in, in one hand and family practice in the other.
1: Yeah, I think they saw it as, as sort of a positive thing overall.
0: Okay. So how's residency going for you now? What big surprises have you seen in residency? What tips would you give for somebody on their transition into residency?
1: I would say (laughs) the best advice that someone gave me was they're like, at some point, Tom, they said residency ends. That's the best part. (laughs) I don't think I'm as doom and gloom as that. I would say that after your first year, you have a lot more freedom to really explore what aspects of medicine you're interested in and so to sort of you know keep an eye out for like maintain connections your first year with faculty you're interested in other residents who are doing other projects you're interested in because those people are going to help you immensely when you do have a couple weeks off or when you do have the light rotation that you can really sort of get into the get into depth into what you're really interested in
0: I would be interested in sleeping at that point, yeah. <laughs> that's what i would be, I'd be doing. That's awesome. So you have this other creative outlet You've written some articles for kevin m d and and Kevin is somebody that I'll have on the podcast actually next week. so oh, wow. it'll be a a good one. So if you're listening to this now, you want to hear from kevin m d. Stay tuned for next week's podcast. It'll be awesome. so you've written four different articles, I think I counted. For Kevin MD, what, where are you getting your creative juices for now writing?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think a lot of it, I mean, I've been, I've been writing ever since I was a teacher. So for probably 10 years. So a lot of it is based on, you know, frankly, Twitter, I get a lot of ideas from Twitter. And, you know, from that, I read a lot about healthcare. I actually read a lot of Kevin MD. And a lot of it is sort of what other sort of intellectual interest I have, I sort of think about in relationship to healthcare. So, you know, I started thinking a lot about, for example, you know, medical records. And then I started thinking about, well, you know, how do human beings make decisions on computers? And is their decisions any different from on computers than in regular life? And sort of that led me to do talk to a lot of doctors and say, and you know, inspired an article about whether medical records make us think differently or, and are are helpful or, or hindrance. So that's an example of sort of a topic that had been sort of floating around in my head for a while, but I think maybe my philosophy background or something sparked an interest.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And now you have some good stuff. So what is your goal after residency is done and you are free to do whatever you want? How do you see your life as a physician?
1: Yeah, so I think I'll probably sleep for a couple of weeks. And then, yeah, I think you know i've I've done a bunch of international rotations, and I'm really interested in, you know if if my personal life lines up correctly, to spend a couple of years abroad and work for work within a medical school and residency and you know do a lot of teaching. And see patients, and then have some type of collaboration with a U.S. based institution as well.
0: Interesting. Do you know what programs are out there for for that to allow a U.S. based a U.S. trained physician to go abroad?
1: Yeah, there's there's a couple. Um, there's one I worked with, which was the Harvard Botswana program, which is sort of just getting it's still getting off the ground. But you know, residents can go over there. I'm not sure if medical students can, but I actually UPenn medical students go over there all the time and work with this particular program. And so a lot of the program is, you know, developing curriculum for residents and medical students, but also medical students in Botswana, which I think is really cool. So there's the Harvard Botswana program. And right now there's also a lot of global health fellowships that people can do that will kind of give you you know, some MPH classes, sometimes even an MPH, and then also give you some training overseas at the same time. So I think that's another really good option for, for people graduating who are thinking about doing something in global health, maybe not living somewhere for 30 years, but sort of developing a skill set as you're doing sort of global health work.
0: Wow, that's cool. That's very interesting and, and very different. So that's that's good to hear. So Tom, as we end up, here, what advice do you have for a pre-med student or a medical student, a a non-traditional pre-med as they go on their journey? Now, and you're looking back, you've gone through the whole journey. What advice do you have for them that you wish maybe you knew starting out?
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. So I think, I guess I'll split it up. So for the pre-medical student, I think I would say To sort of see as much healthcare as you can. So for me, I'd seen a lot as a hospice volunteer, which was a very specific type of setting, which I think in hindsight is very unique and not like what most of medical school and residency was like. So I think in hindsight, as a pre-med, I wish I had spent more time just sort of in a hospital. And sort of around that culture of medicine a little bit more. And then as a medical student, I guess my advice to non-traditional students would be to sort of, you know, seek out people as much as you can who have had other experiences and talk about how they've integrated that into their medical practice. Because I actually think there's a lot of people who have a whole other sort of skill set and world that they bring to medicine that if you don't ask, you don't know. And I mean, a lot of people are, you know, concert musicians and writers or, you know, or they studied economics in college. Or I think everyone who becomes a physician really has something unique other than medicine that they've usually, you know, needed to sort of tamp down a little bit in order to do medicine. And sort of seeking those people out is, can be very reinvigorating.
0: All right. That was Tom Petit. Again, you can go to Kevin MD dot com and find the blog and search for Tom Petit. And we'll have links to this in the show notes, but you can see the stuff that he's written about. So hopefully you learned some interesting things. I learned a ton of stuff like the awesome programs that he's looking at to go overseas as a physician after he's done with residency. That's pretty cool. So again, that's Tom Petit. If you have any questions for me, for him, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash 117, which is the show notes page specifically for this episode. And you can ask those questions there in the comment section. We're also doing something new with our podcast, something that we used to do, but stopped doing, and we're going to start transcribing the podcast episodes again. So if you prefer to read through while you're listening or read instead of listen, if you read instead of listen, maybe you're not listening to this right now, but that's okay. But we're going to have transcriptions of all the podcasts moving forward, and then we'll work on getting them transcribed moving backwards as well. So hopefully those will help some of you out there that are looking forward to that. We do have three amazing new reviews this week, five-star reviews and ratings. We're almost at 250. So if you're one of those that's been listening for a while and just haven't pulled that trigger to leave us a review, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. It only takes a couple minutes, and we greatly appreciate it. We have Shay PS who says, awesome, I love this podcast as a pre-med student. It has helped me in the process of getting my application and getting ready for the MCAT. So, Shay P.S. Rydog51 says, motivational. been listening to the podcast for the last few weeks, and it has lit a new fire of motivation. So, that's Rydog51. Thank you for that. And Carlos RSR says, great source of information. I'm a pre-med in Puerto Rico. I just love this podcast. So. Thank you, Carlos RSR from Puerto Rico. We should have some stuff about Puerto Rico because they do have medical schools in Puerto Rico. If you're not familiar with this, the medical schools in Puerto Rico are considered U.S. medical schools, but they do cater to Spanish-speaking students, if you'll notice. It's a lot of Spanish-speaking there. So maybe we'll have some information. Maybe you can correct me on some information if I got that wrong, but I think that's it. Yeah. So hopefully you got a ton of great information out of today's podcast. Like I said, go to freemcatgift.com, download your free 30 plus page report. And I hope to see you next time here at the medical school headquarters.